Hello, friends. Welcome to Exploring the Scriptures with Springdale Baptist Church. This week, Brother Cody takes us through Acts chapter 4, where we explore the gospel message. Not only the power to save us, but the power to keep us to the end. Now, here's Brother Cody with the message. Acts chapter 4, uh, we're, we're teaching through the book of Acts, and the Acts is a, a story of events of the formation of the church. It's compiled a lot like a narrative, kind of like Luke. Luke wrote Acts, he wrote his own uh, gospel account of Jesus' life, and so he actually called the account of Jesus' life a narrative, a collection, kind of like a story, and so it sort of reads that way uh, as you read through it, and so we'll be in chapter 4. As you're turning there... Um, I want to share with you something. You know, events, events in our life, they, they can shape us so radically. You know, some are, uh, are small but still impactful. Uh, I listed a few of these for us. Um, losing a tooth, right? Losing your first tooth. Connor just, just experienced that for just a few weeks ago. Uh, potty training. I'm speaking firsthand for my wife when I say that. Uh, she's going through that with Reese right now. Uh, and uh, it's also a big deal for Reese himself, and so uh, learning to ride a bike is another. I think we all have some kind of memory of that. I know I have a memory of my grandfather, uh, who is actually, he's gone on to be with the Lord since, so it's a, it's a precious memory to me. Um, first date, youth group, that won't be any of y'all, because uh, we don't do that around here. Little League sports uh, is, a, is a big deal. Dinner at Grandma's house, uh, maybe when you were young. First car, uh, first job. First bout with car trouble. Uh, first time your parents came home and found your 86 Camaro tore up to pieces because you were determined to change the water pump and prove that buying a 20-year-old car was a solid investment. We've all been there, right? Well, that, ha- that happened to me. Uh, other bigger, more impactful uh, events that we, we see in life are like graduating high school, uh, receiving a degree from a, a university, uh, landing a big job, right? Uh, getting married, having children. All these things are, are events that shape our lives. They're, they're never the same. The gospel is the ultimate event. Everything in this book, our whole salvation story is shaped around an event. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, your response to the gospel That event in your life, it it operates a little differently. Uh, And this is the best way I can come up with it, so just bear with me, okay, this illustration. The gospel, when it takes hold of your life, it operates more like you being trapped on the elevator of a burning building, totally engulfed in flames, when all of a sudden someone breaks in and rushes you out to safety. Events like these change everything in ways unique to the others because generally you don't see things like this coming but you are never the same afterward. You question at that point purpose, mortality, and often find a deep need in yourself to create lasting memories with those around you. It's like a new new way of viewing the world. The world hasn't changed at all. It's always been there, but now you see it in a whole new way. Things that didn't take high priority now take higher priority. The gospel is the ultimate unshakable event in the life of a believer, and it has an everlasting ripple effect. And we're going to see that in this story. We are in the book of Acts, chapter 4. Um, to give you some context, last time uh, Brother Stacy uh, preached, you can actually find that online uh, if, you, 
if you uh, podcast or whatever, you can go find that. It was called A Meeting at the Gate, and it was uh, the story of uh, Peter and a couple of the uh, other apostles. Um, they, they came upon a beggar who couldn't walk, and uh, he was healed. Uh, and so we're flowing right out of that. Uh, at, at that time, a bunch of people noticed that this guy's been healed, and it causes a big conundrum, and, and Peter... Uh, begins to explain to the people that this man was healed in the name of Jesus, and he begins to proclaim the gospel from what's called Solomon's porch. All right? So chapter 4, this is where we are. It says, And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, because it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. All right, the first thing we see here, the gospel brings salvation. Brings salvation. 5,000 men came to faith through the preaching and the exhortation using the prophets and the prophecies and the fulfillment thereof of Jesus Christ. And um, the gospel is literally everything in the life of a born-again Christian. Uh, Just so we're clear, before we go any further, me and Ken Hall had a a talk uh, when we were at camp and we were discussing if we were to send around a questionnaire that said, what is the gospel in your own words, how many people could actually tell you? you know, uh, accurately what the gospel is, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, that's why youth group, I know you guys can ask this, what is the gospel in four words? You're making me look bad. We go over this all the time. Jesus in my place. Jesus in my place. That is the gospel, and that is a crucial message that I send to the kids constantly. Jesus died the death. You were supposed to die. Live the life you were supposed to live, right? And so he made what's called the great exchange, He gave you his righteousness, and in exchange, he took in our sin. And uh, this message is the most radical message uh, ever. George Whitfield was an English evangelist, and he said this, Other men may preach the gospel better than I, but no man can preach a better gospel. How about that? Um, It is the message that saves us. Romans Romans, uh, chapter 1, verse uh, 20, Paul says this, I am not at all ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to salvation. It is the very words that bring salvation to us. Um, we don't look at the law, the, the Ten Commandments. We don't look at them and marvel at uh, how awesome they are because all they do is show us that we're sinners, right? All the law does is shows us that we are sinners and that our hearts are against God. We don't, we don't, you know, we don't talk about how awesome it is to have this rule book that just shows us how messed up our lives are, but... Um, when we understand the gospel, the message of grace that was poured out in love and substitution, that is what changes the game forever in our lives. And if you think about it, if it wasn't for hearing the gospel that Jesus died for you, you would not, you would not have gotten saved, ever, point blank. So the gospel brings salvation. Let's read on. <clears throat> All right. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? 
Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I want to show you a couple things. I want to show you a couple things. Verse 4, you notice that uh, the Sadducees, it said, well, verse 1, it said, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Does anybody know anything significant about the Sadducees? We hear a lot about the Pharisees. All right, here's the deal. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead. All right, they believed in that possibility. The Sadducees did not, which is why they were sad, you see. Get it? You ever heard that before? (laughs) But see, notice this, okay? This is why they arrest Jesus. They don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. That's why they're so annoyed that, I'm sorry, they arrest Peter. I said Jesus. This is why they arrest Peter. They're so annoyed that he is proclaiming that Jesus Christ has been risen from the grave. All right? So they put him in jail. But see, notice this is important. Uh, 5,000 men came to faith that day. So when they set them down for trial in verse 7, it says, And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired by what power or by what name did you do this? Because they could not call him out for preaching the resurrection of Jesus because 5,000 people came to faith. And they were all right there watching how these high rulers and awesome religious leaders were going to handle this situation. So they say, by what name or what power did you do this? Watch what Peter says. Peter says, if we are being inquired... So that didn't start out by even bringing up the man that was healed. He said, if we're being inquired about a good deed done to a crippled man then go ahead and let it be known to you. He did not have to say this by any means. He said, let it be known to you that this was done in the name of Jesus Christ, who you killed, but whom God raised from the dead. In no way did he have to say that at all, but he did. And I'm glad he did. Because it shows us something. Y'all, answer me something. Is this Peter not a far cry from the Peter that denied Christ three times? Is this not a big difference? Well, let me tell you something. The gospel, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it brings boldness into the life of a believer. That's point number two. The gospel brings boldness. What Peter says here is a far cry from denying Christ three times or sleeping when Jesus tells him to pray. Peter is now on the front lines for the gospel. Let's read on. Uh, Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But, great word, Peter and John answered them and said, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you 
rather than God, you decide. But for as for us, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For they were all praising God for what had happened. I really don't have to preach this text. It pretty much takes care of itself. Uh, but listen, I, I do want to uh, show you something. What, what sometimes complicates our boldness, what can complicate our boldness anyway, is when we are accountable to other people, like spouses or children. If you go read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says he wishes that more were like him. Now, Paul was single. Now, the reason why he said that is because at that time, the church was facing a really lot of persecution. And it's a whole lot easier to be let out, uh, to be killed for your faith when you don't have a wife and kids at home. Okay? But I, I want to show you something. Sometimes, you know, our, our defense, we think that we're exempt because we may put our family in danger of persecution or worse, social scrutiny, right? Which is uh, the way they like to attack these days. But I want to show you something cool, okay? And it's literally going to blow your mind. So just go ahead and buckle your metaphorical seatbelt if you got it. Mark chapter 1, okay? Mark chapter 1. Verse 29 and 30, okay? It says, And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. I want all of you guys there looking at your Bible before I read this next line, okay? Okay, close enough. All right. Now Simon's mother-in-law. Can y'all read that again? Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. Now, this Simon would later become Peter. Yeah, the same guy that is literally talking very, very boldly to some guys that could very easily have him killed. Peter is married. And history will tell us that uh, Peter may have had a son. In fact, I think it's theorized that Peter's wife was actually killed with him. He was martyred for his faith. Uh, And, uh, you know, um, he put his family... Uh, in danger of persecution because he believed the God of universe that conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave would see him through, whether here or there. And, and you know, I want to provide us an opportunity uh, to reflect inwardly for a second. Uh, I feel sometimes that we do more harm uh, than good whenever with our lips we tell our kids that Jesus died for our sins. We encourage our kids to be followers of Christ and to pursue God and to pursue the Bible. But then with our own lives, you know, we worship money, sports, power, influence, right? I think we do a lot of harm when we do that. Now, am I necessarily talking to you? Probably not because Sunday night, the Sunday night crowd goes down by a third. So you guys are clearly, clearly uh, serious about coming in here and learning and hearing the word. You know, but all I'm saying is there are a lot of people out there, and you know the type. You know, they're, they're Christians in name only. You know, yeah, we, we believe, but their whole life says something else. And I'm going to tell you something, their kids see that. They see them for the hypocrites that they are. And that's just the sad truth. Peter did not just put his family in danger of tribulation. He put his own life in danger. Uh, And and he knew, this is amazing, it's going to blow your mind again, he knew that he was to die for the faith. I'm going to show you that too. It's in John chapter 21. 
the very last chapter of John, just a few pages over, verses 18 and 19. Jesus says, talking to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Notice verse 19. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. He told Peter, you're going to die for the faith. And Peter, in Acts chapter 4, has not forgotten that. I feel certain if somebody told me that, I would remember that. Especially if it was the Son of God who had just resurrected from the grave. I'm going to know that, trust that, and I'm not going to forget it. I sometimes wonder what pre-resurrection Peter would have looked like if he would have known post-resurrection Peter. You know, I just think about that sometimes. You know, Peter Peter was scared. They, They... they tell him, you know, Jesus tells him, pray. Jesus comes back in the garden and they're asleep. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Peter tells, uh, Jesus tells Peter, hey, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter is, oh, he's, y'all, he's so bold. He said, no, no, Jesus. Even if these other guys, even if these other guys abandon you, I wouldn't. I would never. That's exactly what he's Go read it. That's what he says. Jesus like, I'm telling you, you're going to do it. And he did it. He did it, right? But... I often wonder what, what Peter would have been like if he knew post-resurrection Peter. But, but listen to this. I wonder even more, what does post-resurrection you look like? Now, I have a reason for saying that because the Bible makes it clear in Ephesians chapter 2 that before Christ, you were dead in sin and trespass. And you have been made alive in Christ. How about this? John chapter 3, talking to Nicodemus. Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born Again, he talks about the people who believe in him as being born again. Okay, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new is come. What does post-resurrection you look like? How do you look, having been made alive in Christ? Do you look like someone who has encountered the grace of God and experienced spiritual resurrection? Let's move on. The gospel changes history. History. We're going to read on, uh, starting in verse, uh, sorry, starting in verse 22. Uh, starting in verse 23. Sorry. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, this is from Psalm chapter 2, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. Peter goes on to pray, For truly in the city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. 
What's happened here, the apostles go back. After being let go, they found nothing that they could charge them with. There was too many people around. It was going to look bad for the Sadducees and the high priests. And they said, you know what, we can't do it now. Let's just threaten them a little bit. We're going to let them go. Okay, they let them go. They go back. And, and you'll, you'll notice this a lot. This is going to be a reoccurring theme in Acts. A lot of the times when they get back together with uh, the church, the local church body, they're going to rejoice at what God has done for them. And so that's exactly what they do here. They go back and rejoice together at how the Lord has delivered them. They pray for boldness. And that prayer shows us something. All right, and I want to show you this again. He says right here, Truly in this city they were gathered together against you, God, uh, your servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and plan, notice this, whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Please, please do not get caught up on that word predestined, because I am not talking about salvation here. At all. I'm not talking about did God pick you to become saved or whatever. And if you've never thought about that before, please do yourself a favor and do not explore that kind of thinking. All right? Um, but what I am saying is, by seeing this word here, plan, which God had predestined, it shows me something. It shows me that God has a plan. He knows exactly what He's doing. So anytime I step out on faith, it is not a surprise to God at all. He's got a plan. Think of it, think of it kind of like this. Think about this, uh, think of this verse here. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand. He has, think about it in this sense. He has predestined, are you saved? He has predestined for you to do good works, right? He is predestined for you to be the church, to spread love and hospitality and to spread the gospel message throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. That is what he has planned out for you. The gospel changes history. Because honestly, if you think about history, all it really is, is his story. You ever heard that before? His story. Y'all, he's got his story all worked out. And any time you make a move, you're just working his plan out. He already knows what he's doing. He's guiding you by his hand. He's going before you. You don't have anything to worry about. Any good work you do, you're glorifying him. And he's ready for it. He's ready for any opposition you may face. And believe you me, it's out there. It is out there. The apostles, they understood that he had a plan. And I'm going I'm to tell you, they gave their lives, their whole lives, for the gospel. And I mean that. And I'm going to read this to you. I took this from Christianity.com. How did the 12 apostles die? All right, Judas, of course, Judas, no, we don't even have to go there. But if we'll read in Acts chapter 12, James, the son of Zebedee, was executed by Herod. Here's, here's the rest. Peter and Paul, both martyred in Rome in 66 A.D. during the persecution under Emperor Nero. Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down at his, at his request because he did not feel he was worthy to die in the same manner as his 
Lord. Andrew went to the land of the man-eaters in what is now the Soviet Union. Christians there claim him as the first to bring the gospel to their land. He was crucified there. Thomas. Everybody remember Doubting Thomas? Had to see it, had to feel, right? Doubting Thomas was probably the most active in the area east of Syria. Tradition has him preaching as far east as India. They claim that he died there when pierced through with spears of four soldiers. Philip possibly had a powerful ministry in Carthage in North Africa where he converted the wife of a Roman proconsul, a Roman leader, in retaliation, that Roman leader had Philip arrested and crucified. Matthew, the tax collector and writer of a gospel, ministered in Persia and Ethiopia. He was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. Bartholomew had a widespread missionary travel. Um, he went with India to, I mean, he went with Thomas to India, back to Armenia, Ethiopia, southern Arabia. Various accounts of how he met his death for the gospel. James, the son of Alphaeus, is one of three James referred to in the New Testament. There's confusion to who he is, but nonetheless, Jewish historians reported that he was stoned to death. Simon the Zealot, so the story goes, ministered in Persia and was killed after refusing to sacrifice to the sun god. Mattias was the guy who uh, was replaced Judas, tradition sends him to Syria with Andrew, and he experienced death by burning. John was the only apostle who uh, was thought to have died from natural, natural causes. Uh, he was said to have been the leader of the church in Ephesus, and he is said to have taken care of Mary, the mother of Jesus, in his home. Uh, during this leader's persecution in the middle uh, 90s, the first century, he was exiled to the island of Patmos. There he wrote... The, God, the book of Revelation. An early Latin tradition has him escaping unhurt after being cast into a boiling pot of oil in Rome. The apostles understood that God had a plan. They understood that he was going to be with them no matter what they faced. And thus they gave their whole lives for the gospel. Question. Question for reflection. What will you give? For the gospel. Just enough? The bare minimum? Nothing at all? What Charles Spurgeon said, I will not believe that thou hast tasted the, the honey of the gospel if thou can eat it all by thyself. Charles Spurgeon. Maybe you say to yourself, I, I, can't, I can't do it by myself. I can't share the gospel. Well, you know what? You have God's promise that he will never leave you or forsake you. Uh, you know, you, you, he, he promises to go before you lead the way. Uh, he promises to never leave you or forsake you. Uh, as long as you trust in him, he promises to make straight your past, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You know, you may say to yourself, well, they won't listen to me. They won't listen to me. Maybe, uh, maybe they won't. You know, they, uh, they didn't listen to, to Jesus when he tried to minister to them. They killed him. But you know what? Thankfully, he didn't listen to rationality when he stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with my greatest enemy and took on the cross, right? You say, what do I tell them? You tell them they're sinners, but you tell them that Christ died to redeem sinners. Who do I tell? Anybody. Everybody. I, I think of a uh, a quote, uh, it's not a quote, it's, it's a movie I saw, and it's actually, it was the Justice League movie, anybody seen it? 
you see my youth minister coming out now. The Justice League movie that came out a while back, uh, the Flash is scared. They're on their first mission. And uh, I never thought I'd see anything I could use in a sermon in that. But anyway, anyways, the Flash is scared, and, and they're about to go in and save these guys, and Batman's talking to the Flash, and he says, uh, you know, the Flash is like, what if, I, you know, what if I can't do it, whatever, I don't know what to do, I don't know if I can do it, I don't know if I can do this here, and Batman says, save one. Save one, and you'll understand. And I think we can apply that to the gospel message. Save one. Share it with one. See one person come to faith, and you'll never be able to stop, ever. We have this promise from our Lord. Jesus said that we would do greater works than him. Um, don't think in quality, but in quantity. See, I, I, when, I, when, when I first read that, I heard somebody explain it, and I'm, I'm glad they did because Jesus said we would do uh, the works that he's done, but even greater works than him. And I'm like, I have literally never seen anybody risen from the dead like Lazarus. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't know about this, Jesus, but I heard somebody explain it like this. He said, don't think quality, think quantity. All right? He knew that a body of believers, when influenced by the Holy Spirit, could convey the gospel to more people than Jesus limited by this earthly flesh. I want to give you an example, something to take with you. 2015, a report came out. It said there are 2.4 billion Christians in the world. That's what it said. So I want, I, want to, I want to share something with you. If we each brought one person to faith in Christ pure day, 2.4 billion people bringing one person to faith in Christ Pure day, the whole world would be evangelized and saved in less than three and a half days. The entire world under the influence of the Holy Spirit. When are we going to pick up the torch? When are we going to do it? Ladies, you can find you a young woman to pour into. Uh, Every time I think about that, I think about that movie uh, War Room. That woman trying to sell the ladies house, you know, and she's just trying to talk to her about Jesus. And you see that woman respond to the gospel. Uh, Men, find someone. Someone in your circle. I know we can all think of somebody. Somebody at work. Somebody who's lost and desperately, desperately needs to know who Jesus is. I think about brother, uh, oh, what's his name? Ibrahim Nisan. What did he say? He said, uh, he was was talking about uh, the urgency he said, people are dying and going to hell every day. Every day. Someone right now needs the Lord. Teenagers, start a devotional group at school. Why not? You can. The teachers can't. You can. You can. Parents, pour into your kids by both example and the teaching of the Word. They see and hear both and respond to both. What can you do? You can do something. There's work. Our sign out front, uh, it says, what does it say? Where, at Springdale Baptist Church, where everybody has a place? Is that what it says? Everybody has a purpose? Something to that effect. But that sign out there, that's, that's the whole gospel. Where everybody has a place and everybody has a purpose. There is something you can do. You have a talent. You have a skill given by God that you can use to bring this gospel into the entire world. 
And it's up to you. I think about Esther's story. If not you, then who? That was Mordecai's big question. That's the big question. That's always the big question. If not you, then who? Who's going to do it? I'm not asking you to do something I don't do. I'm not asking you to do something I don't struggle with. Probably the easiest way you can witness to somebody or at least show somebody that you're a Christian is at a a restaurant. Uh, If you have a a waitress, uh, you can say, hey, can we pray for you today? That's probably one of the easiest ways. How can we pray for you today? We're about to bless this food. How can we pray for you? Me, Anna, Morgan Whitaker, and Hannah did that one day and had the most interesting conversation with this guy named Brian. We invited him to invite your one, but... uh, he didn't, he didn't come, but I stayed in contact with him a little bit. He works at Texas Roadhouse in Tupelo, and uh, he was a cool guy. He just kept coming back to the table. He just kept coming back to the table, just, just, I, just trying to talk. He'd come back, hey, y'all need anything? Hey, have you ever heard about this philosophy or this one? Or what do you say about this in the Bible? Just kept coming back. And y'all, I still struggle with that. I do. I'm like, I'm like just say something. Just, hey, how can we pray for you? And I don't. I don't sometimes because I'm scared too. If I can have a moment of transparency with you, we, we have found safety and complacency behind these walls. We know we can come in here and talk about the Lord and ain't nothing going to happen. Everything's straight. Everything's awesome. I got an atheist friend right now named, um, oh, no, how in the world did I forget his name? It'll come back to me. He works in New Albany. He's an atheist. We've had a conversation before. And... uh he really likes these, these drinks, these monster drinks. Loca mochas is what they call them. They're coffee, whatever, I don't know. Anyways, I work for a vending company, in case you don't know that. That is my, my full-time job. and uh, I don't, uh, We don't carry those at, at his place, but he keeps talking about how much he likes them. Well, guess what? They finally came to my route, but not his location. So I started taking one out for him. Every time I know I'm going to go to his place, Tuesdays and Thursdays, this is what I said. I walked into the place. Jamie, that's his name. I walked into the place. Jamie sent the computer. I said, hey, Jamie. I held up the monster loco mocha. And he goes, uh, he goes, oh, awesome, and reaches out to snag it. I jerked it back. I said, hold up, bro. I said, you have to listen to a presentation of the gospel every time I bring you one of these. And he said, deal. And I'm hoping that that persistence of that message of grace and I'm not telling you that. To, do not think I'm awesome, please. I have way more flaws than that one good thing I did for the gospel. And that's, I mean, I'm giving a guy a drink so that he has to listen to me tell him about how we're all sinners and that Christ died for sinners. But you know what? I'm hoping that persistence, that persistence will see him into a relationship with Christ. Y'all pray for Jamie. Please pray for Jamie. And pray for me. And I'm going to pray for you, that you would find your purpose in this mission and that you would carry it out. With all boldness. While the team comes and we uh, have our time of invitation, I'm going to call something to your attention, and I hope this challenges you tonight. When you think about the gospel, if the gospel came to you, was delivered to you, and most everybody in here, I think, I think 100% of you have been here before. You've heard the gospel. You've heard the story of Jesus Christ. You've heard that Jesus is in your place. You've heard that over and over time and time again. If the gospel of Jesus Christ has come to you and has not changed you, has not changed you. I had a conversation with a guy last night. He was talking about another fellow that we saw just walking down the hall of the hospital. 
And he said, boy, he's not the same guy he was when we were growing up. He said, he said I've seen a change. I've seen something different. And we got in this conversation together and, and we decided if you're the same person you've been all your life, then the gospel has never mattered to you. I'm not saying that to be ugly, combative, or anything else. I, you know me, I don't have that. I, I don't want that. But I'm saying that with love in my heart. If the gospel has been delivered to you and you have not changed one bit, there's nothing wrong with the gospel. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. It is God in my place. 